Well, I was telling folks at the uh, early two services that I always enjoyed preaching on Sundays after the Tigers won and the Gamecocks won. Because then everybody's in a good mood at that particular point. Um, and by the way, uh, how many people's spiritual lives were enriched last night praying for the Tigers? <laughs> okay. And the Gamecocks, they were just predestined to win. They did their best to uh, exercise their free will to the contrary, but um, they, they pulled it out. <laughs> it was amazing. Well, first I want to say it is a true honor to be with here uh, with you all here this morning. I just uh, really love this congregation. And, and the thing is, when you're a member of a congregation, it's hard to have that perspective on how everyone else perceives you. But First Church Greenville is a leader in our new denomination. I mean, even when we were forming the ECO, the leadership that this church and its staff and laity provided was unreal and so, so important. And to be honest with you, I can't say enough good things about your staff. I mean, I've gotten the interface with a number of them over the years, and they are just a world-class staff. I mean, they are very kind, they're very helpful, and they're very competent. And you are well served by a wonderful group of pastors and a wonderful group of administrators. And uh, Richard uh, was kind to uh, connect with me last night and give me an update on how he's doing. And by the way, he's continuing to make good progress. And and moving along in the recovery process, so continue to keep him in prayer. But um, we're, you know, just really appreciate the man of God that he is. So you have a wonderful congregation. Uh, I hope you understand that. And all you know, with that comes treat it preciously too, right? I mean, it's just it's a wonderful place. Well, today I'd like uh, to begin with talking about uh, talking about phobias, and phobias are one of those. Mental illnesses that are common in the United States. Um, the National Institute of Mental Health suggests that 8% of U.S. adults have some kind of phobia. Uh, phobia comes from the Greek word fear. And the Discovery Channel once listed top three phobias. You might want to think about which ones those are. Uh, you have aerophobia, right? Fear of flying. I don't mind flying. It's the airports that drive me nuts, right? So... Sociophobia, that's the fear of social gatherings, fear of socializing, fear of embarrassment and social situations. But what's the number one, do you think? Anybody? Public speaking. You know, somebody else downstairs said that, too. Yeah, yeah, public speaking. I still get nervous in front of folks. So, yeah, that's one. Stinking spiders. I mean, those things, they just show up. Did you ever notice they can just like do an air assault right on you, you know, just fast rope down right in front of your face. And, and I kind of like this meme here that somebody put together. Clown spiders, because spiders are not scary enough on their own. <laughs> now, I would like to suggest to you that we need like a spiritual phobia kind of category. And that would include things like fastophobia, fear of fasting, Right. How about tithe-a-phobia, fear of timing? How about evangel-phobia, the fear of sharing the good news of Jesus? You know, I thought I was being really cute and coming up with that. And then I Googled it and found out that 
It's all over the internet. So I didn't come up with it at all. I never had an original thought anyway. But anyway, evangelophobes are afraid of sharing their faith because of fear. And what's, what kind of fear is it? Is it the fear of being ridiculed and rejected? Is it the fear of not knowing what to say? You know, evangelophobes say to themselves things like, well, they might ask me a question I not, might not be able to answer. Or, oh, I might fail. I'm not gifted in evangelism. Or, evangelism is the pastor's job, right? You need professionals to do that. Well, this morning we're going to look at someone who was far from being an evangelophobe. And this man encountered Jesus. And what did he do? He responded by bringing another person to come and see Jesus. Let's take a look. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, clearly, Philip did not have evangelophobia. In fact, you know, if you remember the story of Philip, you know, he's a fisherman, but what does he become? He becomes a fisher of men. Jesus calls Philip, and Philip responds by bringing Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. Now, in these little verses here, we have some really readily applicable lessons for us today. The first one is, evangelism doesn't need a lot of training. Now, early in the chapter, Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. Here in our passage, Philip brings Nathaniel. And people here are sharing their encounter, their experience with Jesus. They're witnessing to what they have experienced. Often we're intimidated in sharing our faith because, you know, we, we think we need to be attorneys. I know some of you are attorneys. I'm talking about, you know, we think we need to be, like, able to answer all kinds of objections and, and all that and be quick-witted and, and so on. We don't, we're not called to be attorneys. I know some of you are, but as Christians, we're not called to be attorneys. We're called to be what? Witnesses. What did Jesus say? And you will be my witness, or witnesses, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So being a Philip doesn't involve being quick on your feet and defeating every opposing argument, even though... There's a place for that. I mean, you have what they call apologists who are really good at doing just that. Being a Philip doesn't mean mastering evangelism methods and knowing Scripture inside and out. And, of course, there's a place for that, too. But being a Philip simply means inviting people to come to Jesus, witnessing. We simply share our experience and let Jesus do his work. Because you and I know we can't change people's lives, right? We can't change hearts. We can only point people to Jesus. That's our job, is to get them to Jesus. We are to function like signposts, if you will, and point people to Jesus. And we do that by telling people what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, that's our testimony. We invite people to come and see, if you will, what God has done. Now, personal evangelism... 
one-on-one sharing of the faith continues to be the most effective means of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And friends, that's going to be increasingly the case because unlike years past when I first started ministry in the 80s, people would move in and they would, what, join the Rotary, join the Y, and join a church, right? That's not the case anymore. Now, how are we going to reach people for Jesus? We need to scatter and make a witness in those places that God has placed us. Secondly, the church grows as Christians share their faith. Again, what happens in this passage? One person telling another about Jesus. Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus earlier in the passage. And in our particular verses, Philip brings Nathaniel. You see, the good news demands to be shared. I mean, what happens when something great happens in your life? Like you you have a a new baby, right? Did you all keep that a secret, by the way? No, right? You get a new job. I wish I'd have brought this video. We have a girl whose life goal was to get accepted into Clemson. Her name is Ellie. And Ellie got the letter, and they were recording it as she opened the mailbox, and she just lost it. I mean, just screaming and hooping and hollering that she got accepted into Clemson. That good news was not kept secret, right? If something good happens, we want to share it. I mean, after all, isn't that what Twitter and Facebook are about anyway, right? Sharing stuff, the good news. Well, we, we share the good news to the world. Likewise, evangelism, sharing our faith, is born out of this excitement, this encounter with Jesus. You know, knowing the good news and wanting to share what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has done for us. And that encounter demands to be shared. You know, I, think about this. If you and I had the cure for cancer and we kept it a secret, what would we be considered? We would be considered criminals, right? I mean, how would you dare keep something like that a secret? Well, friends... As Christians, we know the cure for the sin-sick soul, and it is Jesus. The Bible teaches that he is the only cure, that he is the only way to God. Remember what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Likewise, Peter preached, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, throughout the centuries, Christians have looked at this, have understood the implications of Jesus being the only way to salvation, and they went out and shared that good news. And they did it at great risk at times. I mean, thousands of Christians have died over the centuries for their faith, and they continue to die for their faith even today. Persecution is alive and well. If you don't think that's true, Go to uh, persecution.org and persecution.com, and you can learn all about, and Voice of Martyrs website, those are three where you can learn about the persecuted church. Christians are suffering for Christ. Why are they willing to do that? Because they understand how important the message is. They understand how important Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we have eternal life. And there's no other way to God except through Jesus. 
But what keeps us from being like Andrew and Philip and bringing people to Jesus? You know, what, what keeps us, what makes us complacent in this regard? Well, maybe we don't have our relationship with the Lord where it needs to be. I mean, maybe we need to look at ourselves and say, hey, is, do I really have a close relationship with the living God through Christ? Because if you do, you're going to want to share it. So if you're not willing to share it, then you need to look at that. Or maybe you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Well, then you got some issues there, too, because what did Jesus say? And what did the early church preach? Or, or maybe it's the fear of taking a risk. Put yourself out there. Maybe being ridiculed. You know, I had to deal, when I first became a Christian, I'd go to work and they knew I'd become a Christian and, uh, they would sing, Jesus Glatz, uh, or Jesus loves me, this I know, Jimmy Glatz tells me so. You know, that kind of thing. You know, so you're going to be ridiculed. But if we truly have confidence in the gospel, if we truly believe that the gospel is the answer to our separation from God because of our sin, then we will look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And this leads us to our third point. We are to look for opportunities to share the faith. And this is exactly what Philip did. He saw an opportunity to invite another person to come and see, to come and see Jesus. And he did. And we're to do the same thing. Hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. You know, I think about how I came to know the Lord. I came, became a Christian 48 years ago last month. I know some of you weren't even born then, but anyway. And it was September 1974. I was uh, a freshman in college. I was majoring in law enforcement. And you're going to see a great disconnect here in a minute. And during this time, I fell into a pattern of partying heavy uh, on the weekends. And to make a long story short, I towed my car while drinking under the influence of alcohol and ended up in the hospital next to, you know, a, a guy there. We had these hospital rooms weren't private like they are today. He had a roommate and my roommate was Larry and he was a Christian. Now, Larry's story is kind of interesting. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so, you know, a lot of steel fabrication going on there. And Larry worked in the steel fabrication plant. And a shaft from a machine came out of that, or a shaft came out of that machine, hit his arm, and drove that arm through two rungs of a ladder, and broke it in 11 places. So he's there with that uh, injury. It's a catastrophic injury. And uh, the medical team is talking about, at this point, amputating his arm. Now, put yourself in Larry's place. You've just been through a catastrophic accident. You may lose your arm. And now your roommate is some punk kid named me who just towed a car DUI. But Larry understood something that most Christians don't understand. He understood that that hospital room, that place, as painful and tough as it was, was his mission field. And because of his love for Jesus, Larry was able to look beyond his own pain, look beyond his own needs, and look at what I was going through. And in a loving way, he told me about the Lord. I remember him saying, Jim, you know, you seem like a pretty nice guy, but you're going to end up killing yourself if you continue to do what you're doing. Why don't you let Jesus run your life instead of trying to run it yourself? 
And it made sense to me because what I was doing obviously wasn't working. I was in all kinds of trouble. Larry asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I said, well, I'm not sure I understand all of that, but yeah, I do. I want, I want to try this. So I re- prayed with him to receive Christ. Now, before I move on, I often forget when I tell this story, what happened to Larry's arm? <laughs> well, Larry's arm has like 99% function. What they were able to do is take some platinum rods and uh, put them up through there to kind of thread those bones together, and they healed up just fine. And um, through physical therapy and so on, he was able to gain a phenomenal amount of use of his hands. But what would have happened if Larry hadn't seen that hospital room as his front line, as his mission field, so to speak? What if Larry didn't? What if Larry did what most Christians do? Yeah, most Christians in this country don't share their faith. What if he just was going to be nice and nice to me and never tell me about Jesus? Where would I be? I wouldn't be standing here. I want to recommend this important book to you, and I used the term from the book already when I talked about front line. This is where I got this concept. Uh, anybody read, is anybody familiar with this, by the way? Okay. This is really, really important. I did a whole sermon series on this right before the pandemic. And when our folks at Saxagotha Church in Lexington read about it, uh, read it, they just, it, they just thought it was fantastic. Um, it revolutionizes how you view your life, how you view your workplace, how you, it's just, it's awesome. So I want to commend that book to you. Uh, and by the way, Mark Green has some videos on YouTube if you want to check those out. And he speaks with a British accent. You know how that is. You know, guy from Britain, these guys got an edge on us anyway. Because, you know, a guy with an English accent, all he has to do is, you know, I guess they can just recite the alphabet and you want to take notes, right? You know, it's just one of those things. Well, Mark Green pushes us to see those places where God places us as our mission field. Everyday places. Those are our front lines. And I like that front line language because I grew up in a military household, but I like the idea that we're fighting a war, you know, against the powers of darkness. We're advancing the kingdom. And, and, and so every day we have this opportunity on our front lines to bear fruit for Jesus. And I praise God that Larry saw the hospital room where we were together as his front line. You know, it's interesting, as we study the book of Acts, we see the early Christians transforming those places where God has placed them into, uh, they see it as their front line. They see it as their mission field. You know, a good example of this, I think, is Acts 8. Now, notice what's going on here. Those who had been scattered, why were they scattered? Persecution. This is not good stuff happening here, right? They're being persecuted. So, but they had been scattered. They, what did they do when they are scattered? Well, they preached the word wherever they went. They understood that, okay, I'm, I'm being, having to flee my home. I'm having to flee, you know, my environment. And in this new environment, well, that's my front line. This is where I need to minister. And then Philip, by the way, this Philip is Philip the evangelist. The, the other Philip we talked about was Philip the apostle. 
uh, Philip the evangelist went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. So these folks, wherever they go, they're, they are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And yet, so many so-called Christians don't share the good news. And, and by the way, this is kind of an American phenomenon. You know, if you go overseas, and I've, you know, I've been everywhere, but I've been a fair number of places. Those folks there, non-pastors, lay folks, share their faith. They understand that they are missionaries. Somehow, here in this country, we think we can carve up our discipleship. And I don't know how evangelism got divorced from discipleship. You know, we, we know, well, I'm a Christian, I, I pray, I go to church, I read the Bible, you know, I serve others. But somehow we think that tithing and, and you know, stewardship is an option, and we think that evangelism is an option. Where did we come up with that? Someone pointed out, you know, Mary, many Christians are like the Arctic River, frozen at the mouth. You know, when it comes to our faith, it's hard to get the words out sometimes. Why is that? And, and some Christians avoid you know, sharing their faith by wrongly convincing themselves that all they need to do is act lovingly and do works of service to others. And some even appeal to a quote, and, and somebody um, pointed out some things about this quote to me at the uh, 8.30 service that I thought were really interesting and helpful. But the quote I'm thinking about is, and maybe you've heard it, it says, Preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Did you ever hear that quote? You know, and I don't know what St. Francis of Assisi, first of all, we don't know if he said it. Secondly, I don't know exactly what he was talking about because of translation and so on. But I have had people use that as a cop-out from sharing the good news of Jesus in word. And I can appreciate the point that we need to witness to Christ by living a life of integrity. But that quote makes me crazy because it only proclaims half of the call on our lives. We need to share the good news of Jesus in both words and deeds. Deeds aren't enough. People come to faith by hearing the word of Christ. Lives are transformed by hearing the word of God. You know, what did Paul say? Well, so faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Going back to our passage. How did Philip and company know who Jesus was? Well, it was through the scriptures, right? Did you catch this when we read the passage? Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You are called as a church. You are called as individual Christians to witness to Jesus and to share the good news as revealed in the Bible. And nothing changes that. We, we need to keep that in mind because there's a lot of chaos going on, isn't there, right now? I mean, the economy, you know, and stock market, you got the political landscape, you got the world in chaos, you got the nuclear annihilation stuff back on their screen. I thought we were beyond that after the 90s, but now we're facing nuclear annihilation again. And it's all disconcerting, but the cool thing is our mission never changes. We are called... And we will always be called, under any circumstance, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's our mission. 
And that mission never, ever changes. And that's one of the great things about being a Christian is that the world may be all crazy and stuff, but our lives rest on the firm foundation of Jesus. And there's stuff there that never changes, right? God never changes. His love for us never changes. And our mission never changes. Now, I believe that some of you may be familiar with this acronym, BLESS. BLESS contains five practices that help us do ministry on our front lines. And every one of us can easily and naturally live out these these five practices and bring the relationships that God has entrusted us with one step closer to the gospel. The first one is this. Begin with prayer. God has entrusted us with this precious relationship, right? And it's just not one because there's a host of them. Well, how can we take those relationships one step closer to Jesus? So think about this. This is a good homework assignment. Think about those people in your life that need to know Jesus. Just write them down on a sheet of paper. Now, how are you going to go from where they are to taking them closer and closer to the gospel, where they come and see Jesus? How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to begin with prayer, right? Understanding that God is the one who changes hearts. Understanding that God can work in ways we can't envision. So we begin with prayer. So who are those people in your life? Who are those people on your front line that need to know Jesus? Are you praying for them? The next one is listen with care. You know, ministry is all about relationships. You know, building relationship with people serves as an avenue for the gospel. Well, how do you build a relationship? Well, a lot of times, just sit and listen. Let them talk. You know, let them share their story. That's what Larry did for me, by the way. He just listened to my story. And he knew where my brokenness was. And he knew how to lead me to the Lord out of that brokenness. So have you listened? You know, are you discovering the struggles that people are dealing with and using that as a way to share the good news? So listen. Uh, the other thing, uh, the third one is eat together. That's the E. And it, it, there's something about having a meal with someone, isn't there? You know, it just kind of knits you together, makes it, you're closer. I mean, what's the last thing Jesus wanted to do with his disciples? Have a meal. You know, experience that oneness. So let us, you know, accept and invite others who don't know Jesus to our breakfast, lunch, coffee, dinner. Develop that relationship even further. And then as you get to know the person, then, well, okay, here's some needs in their life. Maybe I can help meet some of these needs. Maybe I can serve them in some way. And then that becomes number four. You know, you're deepening relationship even further. And you're demonstrating the gospel indeed, right? But now the last one is demonstrating the gospel in word, sharing your story about Jesus. Now, I shared with you in a nutshell how I came to know the Lord how has Jesus worked in your life? How did you come to know the Lord? You know, what story do you have to share? How has God worked in your life? You know, what I like about this blessed acronym 
is that it gives us the ability to look at our this sphere of influence that we have, these relationships, and, and take them to the next level, in turn, or one step closer to the gospel. You can even use the term stewardship. You know, oftentimes when we use uh, stewardship, we think of time, talents, and treasures, the three T's. But we need to think of, in terms of relationships, too. You know, God has entrusted us with relationships, and we need to treat those relationships preciously. And we need to move those relationships one step closer to the gospel. So how can you move this relationship one step closer to the gospel? Maybe you've, you've prayed, you know, and maybe you've engaged in conversation. But you want to get further into that relationship. So you, maybe you invite them over for dinner. And maybe you, out of that you learn, oh, here's some things I can do to serve. And so on. And you don't need to do them all in order. I mean, there have been times where I, I don't even know if I began with prayer because we got into a conversation. Next thing I know, I was trying to, you know, share the gospel and lead a person to Christ. But it's a helpful way to, to look at your relationships and say, okay, how can I bring this person one step closer to Jesus? Now, sharing the story is where a lot of people have a hard time. So before I close, I want to talk a little bit about this and to share some of the ways that have been helpful to me over the years. First of all, I think it's very important to sit down and write a spiritual autobiography. You know, just think about how have you grown in Christ over the years? How has God worked in your life? Here, here's some questions. First of all, how did you come to know him, right? And then when were those times that you especially saw evidence of God working in your life? And, and what passages of scripture have been especially important in your walk with the Lord? All that becomes your story. All that becomes like a, a resource for you to apply when you're trying to take a relationship one step closer to Jesus in sharing your story. You know, Larry pretty much said to me, and then putting a little bit more bluntly, he says, look, <laughs> you know, you're making a mess out of your life. Why not follow Jesus, right? Because what you're doing is not working out for you. And I've used that variation in a lot of conversations over the years because one thing about life apart from God, if you live a life apart from God, it's going to probably go sideways at some point, right? And it's in that sidewaysness that there's an opportunity to share the gospel. And it's an opportunity for people to think about their life and, and how they structure their life and what is their authority in life? And are they willing to live under the lordship of Jesus? I mean, that's where it was for me. I mean, I knew I was messing up. I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I'm going to let Jesus run my life. So your spiritual autobiography can be very helpful to others, you know. And, and sometimes, I mean, I just recently um, had a friend who um, lost a 20-something uh, year old child, and um, it was kind of cool because when I got to the, to the house, a family or a couple were there, and they had lost their child several years earlier. And so here you have a family who had lost a child ministering to a family 
who just lost a child. And there's that point where your, you know, your misery can become your ministry. And you can really speak truth into people's lives. And God can use that in an amazing way. I mean, Paul says that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our sorrows. Why? So that we can comfort others. So that spiritual autobiography can be extremely important in this. Now, another thing I'd like to mention that, that's been helpful for me is, is using prayer. And, I, and, and I'm not talking about prayer in the sense we were talking about it here, because we were talking about you know, asking God to intervene and, and intercede for someone you know, through prayer. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about just asking people, how can I pray for you? That almost immediately gets you into a good conversation. You know, I've even used that at a restaurant. You know, you know say, hey, we're going to pray for a meal here in a second. Is it, say to the uh, waitress, is there anything I can pray for you as we, we pray for our food? And, and you'll be surprised how people will open up. I remember saying to one guy, uh, and we were kind of in a rushed environment, I said, uh, before I go, how can I pray for you? He said, you can pray for my marriage. Well, at that point, I'm like, I wish we weren't rushed, right? I mean, there's a lot to say there. But we were able to reconnect, and, and I said, look, I've been praying for you. How are things been going? And I've been praying for you and your wife. What's going on? And he said, well, things are going terribly. Yeah, and he proceeded to tell me about all that was going on. And, and I basically said, and it was like Larry question to me, is like, have you given this over to the Lord? Are you trying to do this yourself, or have you given it over to God? You know? And then I said, have you given your life over to God? And he goes, I don't know what that really means. Well, then that led to a whole big spiritual conversation, right? And then after that conversation, he came to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, notice how an offer to pray for a person, you know, led to a spiritual conversation. And that's kind of what you're going for, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was preaching downstairs. I was like, you know, I'm, I've been in ministry about 40 years, and I've asked people a number of times, how can I pray for you? And the only time I had somebody not take me up on that was a guy who said, well, I guess you can pray for me if it makes you feel better. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> and it made me feel better, so, you know, worked out. But friends, if you're a Christian, you have a front line. That place where God has placed you is your front line, your mission field. Are you being faithful on your front line? Are you letting yourself be used of God to advance his kingdom? And if not, then you need to ask the question, why not? What are you afraid of? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. And Lord, I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I just thank you for the, the beacon of hope, the light they are to this community. And Lord, I just thank you for the way you've used them in such a mighty way, uh, certainly as we have entered into a new denomination called the ECO. So Lord, thank you for their leadership. Thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, we do pray for Richard. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon him. We pray that each day he'd get stronger and stronger. Father, we pray that you'd bless him with uh, patience. We pray that you'd bless him with perseverance. We pray that you'd bless him with healing. So, Lord, we uplift our friend and brother to you. And, and Lord, we pray for your heart. We pray for your heart for the lost.
asking, Lord, that you would give us those people eyes, Lord, those eyes that are eager to see the needs of others, eyes that are willing to see people as you see them. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.